Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome all of our regulars back and uh, those who might be just dropping into Grace Crossing and you've been here before and maybe haven't been here yet for our series. We want to welcome you to uh, our series 23 and me. And so we are journeying through Psalm 23 word by word, line by line, precept by precept, as we're receiving from God the goodness that he has for each one of us. And uh, each week I've been beginning our series by just reading the narrative of Psalm 23, um, six verses to us, and it really frames the reason that I came up with the title 23 and Me, because Psalm 23 is all about us in one sense. But in the other sense, it doesn't focus on us. The focus of Psalm 23 is on the shepherd. The focus is on how God shepherds us in our lives, and yet we are on the other side of it, incredible recipients of this good shepherd. And so this morning, uh, to set up our uh, talk and frame what we're going to focus on uh, in this morning's message, what I'd like to do is read Psalm 23 And as I read it, what I'd like you to do is focus on the screens, because there's an image I'd like you to see as we reflect on Psalm 23 this morning. So let me just read as you take a look at this scenery. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The entire narrative of Psalm 23 rests upon the first five words. The Lord is my shepherd. For us to lay claim to the remaining passage in Psalm 23, to all of the benefits, to all of the promises, to all of the goodness, we've got to be able to say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. And when we can declare that, then we can say, I shall not want. In other words, what more could I possibly ever want if the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We focused on this last weekend. But the job of the shepherd is actually to remove every obstacle out of the way so that the sheep are able to relax 
and to rest in the shepherd's care and provision. So the shepherd has to remove all of the obstacles, the obstacle of hunger, the obstacle of bugs, the obstacle of fear, the obstacle of discord that happens sometimes within the fold. If, if you want to hear more about that or any of these other talks that we've had, the first three weekends, they're, they're, the podcasts are available at our website. And really what David is saying there is this. He's saying he makes it possible for me to lie down. He doesn't forcefully push me to the ground against my will, but he makes it possible for me to lie down by removing these obstacles. And then the shepherd turns his attention at that point to the incredible way that he wants to care for these sheep. So the two uh, scriptures that we're going to focus on this morning is the end of verse number two and the beginning of verse number three. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Now, this morning's talk really rests on two words in Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3. And here are the words, quiet and the word soul. In fact, I want to bring to you the premise of this morning's message, and here's the premise. Our soul cannot experience restoration apart from quietness. Our soul cannot find restoration apart from quietness. So in 1978, author Richard Foster made this statement. He said, our adversary majors in three primary things. Noise, hurry, and crowds. Noise, hurry, and crowds. And here's what he went on to say. He said, if our adversary can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. I think one of our greatest competitions to form a, a spiritual center with God is muchness and manyness. And it comes in three primary forms. Noise, hurry, and crowds. And perhaps that's the reason that Jesus often said to his disciples, come away with me. Come apart with me. In Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28, here's how Jesus said it. Get away with me and recover your life. What does he mean? He means that in this world we lose our life. We lose our center. We lose our true selves. And, and those come in the primary forms of the, the adversary's tool of noise, hurriedness, and crowds. And so Jesus gives us this invitation. So the premise um, for this morning's message is really pretty simple. Our soul was made for silence. 
And when we deprive our soul of silence, we do violence to our true selves. Your soul was made for silence. And when you deprive your soul of silence, you actually do violence to who you really are, to your true self, created in the image of God. Have you ever noticed how uncomfortable people are with silence? I mean, if you want to try it out for size, if you want to create an awkward moment, when you're in the middle of a group of people having a conversation, just go silent. It's always a crowd pleaser, right? Because here's what happens. We interpret silence and we equate it to one of three things. We equate silence to hurt, to anger, or to revenge. How many of you here have ever had someone give you the silent treatment? Can I see your hands? Come on, be honest. Okay, now here's the real moment of truth. How many of you have given someone else the moment of silence? Come on, let me see your hands. All of us are guilty. And so rarely do people, when they hear the word silence, rarely do people react positively to it. I get it. Because for many years, that's how I viewed silence and quietness. In fact, if I'm being very honest, for many years, I saw silence as wasted time. And I thought it was actually unproductive. So my introduction to silence actually came all the way back in 2002. I was walking through one of the most difficult times in my life in a journey that I would never wish on my worst enemy, but I wouldn't trade it for the world of what it taught me about God. And during that time, um, I had three different people on three different occasions, yet just a few days apart, give me this scripture. It's from the book of Exodus, chapter 14, and verse 14, and here's what it says. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Uh, The New International Version says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The New Living Translation says, just remain calm. I like this rendering. Because I think what it does is it frames for us what is expected of us if we're going to allow God to do his work in our life. So I became aware of silence in 2002. But in 2004, I began to journey into what's called emotionally healthy spirituality. And during that journey, in the early stages and the early days of it, I actually learned more about silence as a part of a spiritual practice in our life. And I would say that I went from awareness to pondering and to even valuing silence at that particular time. But what I didn't do is I certainly didn't prioritize it. And I certainly didn't practice it in my daily rhythms. 
It really hasn't been until the last few years that I've begun to look at silence in a different way. And I've begun to integrate it more into my life. Where I've moved silence to a place where in my spiritual rhythms I have scripture reading and I have prayer and I have Sabbath and now I have silence. That's part of my daily rhythm. In fact, here's what I've learned. I don't just do it um, as, as an optional thing or as a convenience thing. I do it religiously. And I mean that in the deepest sense of the word. Because what I've discovered is in the last few years, when I neglect silence, my soul pays a deep price for it. The real me pays a deep price. So as I've been growing in these last few years in the area of silence, one of the things that I began to seek out was I began to seek out someone who was out in front of me spiritually, somebody who had been walking with the Lord longer than I had been, someone who was 15, 20 years my elder, and yet had deeply integrated the spiritual practices, the ancient spiritual practices, including silence, that are found in the, in the, in the traditions of our Christian faith. Somebody who understood the importance of that. And so I sought out a, began meeting over a year ago with a spiritual director who uh, I, I could see there the value that they had, the understanding of a deep walk with God. And they were out ahead of me. And I needed to grow. I'll never forget my very first meeting with this individual. He was very comfortable with silence. I was not very comfortable with silence, especially in the midst of a, a group. I think we often think of silence as a, an individual thing, right? But we don't really think of silence as something we practice together. And it became very apparent to me that this was a man who understood the depth of silence, connecting with God at the deepest part of his soul, and yet a man who spoke very few words in our times together. At the end of our very first meeting, I'll never forget how he concluded our time together. He said, it must be really hard to feel like you always have to have something to say. See you next month. Mic drop. Walk out of the room. And he was spot on. Because it was a self-discovery for me. That in my life and in my world of communication, it's what I do. And it's really hard not to fill a room with the sound of my own voice. And what it's taught me is it's taught me the need and the value of silence going to a deeper place. So the beginning of this year, we came together at one prayer here at Grace Crossing Church. And, and our first one prayer the last few years, we've been praying that God will drop a word into our heart. And the word God gave me this year was silent. It's been one of the hardest things 
for me to integrate at a deep level, but it's become one of the most cherished things and practices in my life. So let me say it again. Our soul was made for silence. And when we deprive our soul of silence, we do violence to our true selves. So let's unpack these verses this morning. Psalm 23, the end of verse number 2. He leads me beside quiet waters. When sheep become thirsty, sheep become anxious. And in their anxiety, what sheep can tend to do is wander away from the fold looking for a source of water. And in the process, the sheep can become disoriented. So this is a big week for our family biologically, my biological family. I went down several weeks ago to care for my mom. My brothers and sisters have been taking kind of a rotation of caring for her until we could get her moved. Well, this past Thursday, my mom stepped on a plane for the first time in 40 years, and she flew from North Fort Myers, Florida to Philadelphia, where she now will live with my oldest sister until we can find a more permanent place for her to be. What I discovered when I was there with my mom was that much of her disorientation in life was directly linked to her dehydration. That when she became dehydrated, she also became disoriented, and she went through several bouts of of excessive dehydration that led her to becoming disoriented. Now, here's the reality. That's not just true in our physical lives. That is also true in our spiritual lives. When we allow ourselves to become spiritually dehydrated, we run the risk of becoming spiritually disoriented. We lose ourselves. We lose our center. We forget who we are. We forget where God is. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves like sheep wandering on our own, looking for a source to fill up the emptiness to quench our deepest thirst and longing. That's exactly what Jesus dealt with when he met a woman at a well in John's gospel in the fourth chapter. Jesus meets this woman who is coming to to get water, to quench her physical thirst and the physical thirst of her family. And while Jesus is there, he meets this woman, he reveals to her what she knew about herself, and that was that she had been looking to quench her thirst in all the wrong places in life. And here's what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 14. Whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When the scripture here uses the word drinks, it means to take in, to consume, and to accept at a deep level. Jesus is not here talking about 
making a mental note of who he is. He is talking about us consuming and accepting at a deep level what he offers to us, which is eternal life. That is not about future, by the way. This is not about where you're going someday. Eternal life is something that flows from the presence of God into those who have drunk deeply of his spirit in them. Who have said, I'm receiving God. I'm receiving the hope. I'm receiving the encouragement. And I'm receiving the life that Jesus offers. And when we do that, the Bible says flowing out of us come springs and streams of what? Living water. That means that we are intended to be a source of nourishment to those that we do life with, to those that we're around, that people taste and see that God is good in and through us. So what is Psalm 23 talking about when it says that he leads us beside quiet waters? Well, there were actually two primary responsibilities that the shepherd had when it came to keeping the sheep hydrated. The first responsibility of the sheep was to locate healthy water sources. It, it was not the responsibility of the sheep to venture out and find the places and the drinking sources. It was the responsibility and is the responsibility of a careful shepherd to go out and locate the sources. And there are three primary ways that sheep are hydrated. They're hydrated by the dew on the grass in the morning, which is one of the sources as they eat, they also hydrate. The second way is that the shepherd sometimes on the journey would have to find a deep well somewhere where there was a water supply. And it was the shepherd's job to go down into the well and to get the water and bring it to the sheep. I think that's what Jeremiah had in mind when he, when he said this and he received this from the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Have you ever been there? Drinking from something that you manufactured in your own strength and power, hoping that it would somehow satisfy and meet all of your needs, only to come to find out that it was not God's plan for you. It wasn't God's will for you. It's not just that people at times forsake God. It's that people also try, well-meaning people try, to create their own wells, their own cisterns, but they're broken. And the third source of sheep's finding their hydration, the most common, was a natural stream or a natural spring. And so it, it's the responsibility of the shepherd to locate those. But it's secondly the responsibility of the shepherd to lovingly lead the sheep to those places. The shepherd never assumes that just because he finds the source, the sheep will go and drink. He must create the place 
And then he must find the location and lead the sheep lovingly to that particular space where they'll be able to have their thirst satisfied. And I want you to notice the condition of the waters. The Bible says they are quiet. Where does the shepherd lead us? Not into noisy waters. Not into crowded waters. He doesn't lead us by hurrying us, but the shepherd rather leads us into quiet and beside quiet waters. Why is that important? Because sheep actually are so anxious that even the slightest movement of water will actually at times keep them from drinking. And the shepherd knows it. So the shepherd has to make sure that he leads them to a place of quietness. And I think the result is found in the very next verse in Psalm. Psalm 23 verse 3 says this. He restores. He restores my soul. He doesn't just lead us beside quiet waters, but when we are made to lay down, when he makes it possible for us, when he leads us beside quiet waters, he then is able to restore our soul. And here's the question. What is David seeing? What is the visual that David has when he writes this in Psalm 23? Well, it's an interesting word picture, actually, that David had. Because when you study sheep, one of the things you find out about sheep is at times, sheep can become what is called cast. Let me show you a cast sheep. That's what a cast sheep looks like. It is a sheep that has been turned over on its back, upside down, legs in the air, bleeding for help, calling to the shepherd, who is unable to turn itself over without the help of the shepherd. When a sheep becomes what shepherds call cast, they become particularly vulnerable. Doesn't that look like a vulnerable position? I mean, who wants to be on their back, legs in the air, unable to turn yourself over? And there are two things that sheep, when they are cast, become vulnerable to. They become vulnerable to predators. They become easy prey for predators and wild beasts. They're weak. And they also are prone to losing their circulation, which means their very extremities can actually suffer consequences if they stay in this position too long. The worst thing possible is that a sheep is left cast, and if a shepherd does not respond soon enough and in a timely manner, the sheep can ultimately die in that position. And so what causes a sheep to become cast? Well, actually, two primary things. One is carelessness. Sheep at times just simply become careless, and they're clumsy. 
And they simply find spots on the grass and in the pasture that if they're not careful, they can actually in carelessness stumble into this position dependent on the shepherd to come and deliver them. But not only carelessness causes sheep to become cast, but secondly, selfishness. Sheep can become selfish in the sense that they can want too much food and become too heavy, and a weighted down sheep becomes more prone to losing its balance and becoming cast. So it's interesting, one of the ways that that sheep are more prone to becoming cast is that their wool can become so matted with mud and with burrs and with manure and all sorts of things that if that wool is not tended to, the sheep gets weighted down by its own wool and is more prone to being cast. Now here's what's interesting about that. In the scripture, the Bible likens wool to our old life. Not to our life in Christ, but to our old life. And wool actually becomes symbolic in the scripture of what the Bible calls the flesh. So when we come to Christ, we are given a new nature. We are given God's nature. Our sin nature is put to death, but we still deal with what's called the flesh. And the flesh is the place where we, like sheep, attract all sorts of attachments. We become attached in life to disordered priorities. We become attached in life to disordered loves. We can become attached to disordered attractions and things that we we look to to satisfy and bring us pleasure. And it is the job of the shepherd to come and clip away those things from us that we place our hope in and our dependence upon. So here's what David is seeing. And this is why David writes this in Psalm 23. David knew firsthand what it felt like to be cast. Remember, he's not writing Psalm 23 from the the vantage point of a shepherd. He's talking about the role of the shepherd, but he's writing it from the vantage point of the sheep. And as a sheep, David understood what it was like to become helpless and feel hopeless. To be literally cast. Or what the Bible some places calls down cast. Listen to Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, notice what he says, I pour out my soul within me. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, 
for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you. David does not just write these words about his soul being cast down one time in Psalm 42. He actually writes it three times. And in Psalm 43, he says it again. Why is my soul cast down? David knew what it felt like to feel like his soul had been turned upside down. To feel himself being rejected. Feeling abandoned. Feeling helpless and hopeless. And so he writes this in Psalm 51, verses 10 and 12. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Create, renew, restore. That's what happens to a cast sheep. A cast sheep needs to be set right. And I love the imagery of this when we come to the scripture. Because here's what the Bible teaches that God does for us through Jesus Christ. The Bible actually declares that we are made upright and put in right standing before God through Jesus Christ. That regardless of what has cast us down, regardless of what has turned us over, Jesus comes as the good shepherd, discovers us where we are, out feeling helpless, feeling all alone and feeling abandoned, and what Jesus does is he comes and he does this. He turns us upright. That's what the word righteousness means. It means we are turned upright, we are put in right standing with God. And it's only Jesus Christ that can do that for us. It's only the good shepherd that can do that for us. We can't do it alone. We are like cast sheep that are helpless. And yet he comes to our aid and to our rescue. Now as I read the Gospels, Here's what I discover. I discover that the ministry of Jesus was all about coming to sheep that were cast. And it was all about restoring their soul. One of the most powerful illustrations of this, and we're not going to read it this morning, but one of the most powerful illustrations of this is found in Jesus' restoration of Peter. Peter denies Jesus, says, I don't even know who you are. He leaves the other disciples and he journeys back into his life as a fisherman. And following the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus goes after him. Jesus hunts him down. Jesus finds him fishing on the Sea of Galilee. He comes and prepares a breakfast and invites Peter to come. Peter, who had a spiritual breakdown, is now invited back to relationship with Jesus. And what does Jesus do in that breakfast 
conversation with Peter. He takes him in his cast position and he makes him upright. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend to my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. What is the good shepherd doing with Peter? He is now offering to Peter the opportunity to do exactly what Jesus had done for him. Find him in his cast position and make him upright. And Peter becomes a shepherd, an under-shepherd to the good shepherd. I suspect that's what Peter has in mind. When Peter in his first letter writes this, 1 Peter chapter 5, Verse 7, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What is Peter saying when he says cast your care? He's saying this, turn it over. Turn it over. Give it to me. Stop trying to do it on your own. Lay your cares on their back, and offer them to me. Why? Because I care for you. I'm aware of everything that you're going through. Here's the reality. Psalm 23, especially verses 2 and 3, are emphasizing the attentiveness of the shepherd. He leads me. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Here's what I want you to sit with for a few moments this morning before I lead us in a final prayer. I want you to place yourself right now in a a position of being present with God. And here's what I want us to sit with in silence for just a few moments. In the Quaker tradition, the Quakers would often ask themselves when they would meet together this simple question, how is your soul? When was the last time you asked someone that question? Probably never. When was the last time somebody asked you that question? Probably never. This morning... That's the question I want you to sit with. How's your soul? Is your soul anxious? Is your soul hurried? Is your soul troubled? Is your soul consumed? Is your soul hurt? Are you even aware of your soul speaking to you. Or is your soul settled? Is it at rest? Is it at peace in the good shepherd? This morning I just want you to bring your truest self because your soul is the truest you. I want you to bring your truest self to God and I want you to sit in silence with that question this morning. How is my soul, God. 
that was my sermon. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.